0: Last week, we saw that Jesus is the one and only light that exists, and His birth brought light to our darkened world and our darkened hearts. But the question today is, now what? Now what? What happens to us after the light comes in? Well, that is what our text today is about. This passage that we're going to read this morning has been used by the church for hundreds of years on the Sunday after Christmas. And the reason is is because it gives us a clear idea of what the truth of Christmas does, what it does to us and what it does to our world. So if you have your Bible, you could turn to Colossians chapter three. We're going to read verses 12 through 17. If you don't have a a Bible with you, these verses are uh, in the bulletin. So this is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words. These words that will give us so much encouragement and strength. This day after Christmas. And Father, we ask you that these words would fall on good ground today. Till our hearts up. We've been so distracted by presents and gifts and and food, and the things of this world, this whole season. But let us now be undistracted, and let us receive by your Spirit, your Word. Let this Word take root deep into our hearts. And it is in your Son's name that we pray, amen. Okay, so this passage shows us three Three changes, three changes that Christmas brings about. Number one in your outline Christmas changes our identity. Christmas changes our identity. If Christmas is true, then something remarkable has happened. God Almighty the creator of the heavens and the earth came to live on our planet for a little while. I want you to think about that for just a second. God Almighty, creator of the heavens and general of angel armies came to live here for a little while. That alone is a mind-blowing, life-altering fact. It is. But things get really life-altering and life-changing when you realize why he did so. When you realize why he came to live here. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy And dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. God Almighty came to this earth to live for a little while. Because He dearly loves you. Dearly loves you. And He chose you to be His. From eternity past, He chose you and He set you apart. You, especially you, He set you apart for His affection and love from eternity past. You are the apple of God's eye, and that is why He came. To live among us this remarkable truth should radically change the way you view yourself it should radically change it what's this truth once you really let it sink in once you dwell on it for a little while you won't be able to just pack away your Christmas trees and take down the lights and clean the dishes and say well that was a nice holiday let's do it again next year. No, when the truth of Christmas hits you, when it really hits you, that that baby and that manger came just for you. Just for you. When that hits your heart, it changes everything. It changes absolutely everything and it should change the way you view yourself. It should change your very identity. Let me ask you a question. And I want you to think about it. Legitimately think about it. Where do you typically go to get self-worth? Where do you go? Where do you turn? To find self-worth to, to feel good about yourself. There's a book written a few years ago called "Status Anxiety." Status anxiety, and it was written by an atheist. His name is Alan de Botton, and the premise of his book is this: life is a constant. An anxiety ridden search for meaning, love, and status. Life is a constant and anxiety ridden search for meaning, love, and status. I totally agree with the premise of that book. And he makes the point in the book that we almost always search for meaning, love, and status in the thoughts of others. In the thoughts of others. We turn to the wider world to settle the question of our significance. We are simply starving for the approval of others. Our spouses, our kids, our teachers, our parents, our friends, our neighbors, and even total strangers. We are starving for their approval because they are what give us significance. That's why we get a rush of dopamine in our brains when we get a notification on our phone that we got a new like on the Christmas picture we just posted. We get that rush of dopamine because we must have the acceptance of others. We get our self-worth on a daily basis from those around us and what they think about us. Oh, now we might claim that's not true. We might claim that, you know, hey, we have, we have all we need just within ourselves. I'm fine just who I am. I don't need the approval of others. But Des makes the point in the book that that's just not true. We might say that, but it's not true. That's just a lie that we tell ourselves and we tell others. Oh, I'm fine with who I am. I don't need need the approval of others. Yes. Yes, you do. You need it desperately. We're all doing this. We're searching for acceptance through the thoughts of others. And we never get what we're looking for. One hit of dopamine on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, just leads to us starving for another one, and then another one, and then another one. We never get what we're looking for from others. We never truly get the significance we want. And if this is true, then can you see how Christmas speaks to this need? What does Christmas tell us about our value and about our significance in life? What does it tell us about our worth, what we are worth? Well, it tells us two things at the same time. Number one, Christmas tells us that every one of us were walking in darkness, entangled in arrogance, suffering, misery, and sin, and we had no way out. We could not rescue ourselves. That's number one. And number two, Christmas tells us that God would not allow us to wallow in anguish and sin and despair. He would not. But in his great love and affection for us, he stepped off of his throne in heaven to join us in the darkness. To join us in our suffering and misery in order to save us, in order to pull us out of our darkness and into his glorious light. Do you see what incredible value these two truths give your life? What incredible worth this gives you? That's a heck of a dopamine hit if you'll just sit and think about it for a while. I mean, don't you see how this should utterly change how you view yourself? It should utterly change the way you go about seeking value and worth and significance. Instead of searching for it in your neighbor or in your spouse or in your kids, you can go to the manger. And when you go to the manger, everything that you've ever been looking for is lying there in the straw. And on one hand, this truth of Christmas, it should take away all the vanity and pride that you have in your life, and it should just grind it into the dust. Just grind it in the dust. You could not save yourself from your misery and pain. But on the other hand, It should also take all of your shame and insecurities about yourself. Those things that you hate about yourself, and it should just melt them all away. You are dearly, dearly loved by your Creator. And He doesn't care what side of the tracks you live on. And He doesn't care how many sins you've piled up. He dearly loves you and he chose you to be his from all eternity past. My friend, you are dearly loved by the only person whose opinion of you actually matters. Isn't that funny? We go around every day seeking approval from people whose opinion doesn't really matter. But there is one person whose opinion actually does matter. And you are the apple of his eye. You are his special treasure. And he made you, he formed you with his own hands to be his forever. That's what he thinks of you. This truth leaves us with nothing left to prove and nothing left to hide. You see, if I have God's unconditional love and acceptance, if He accepts me not because of who I am, but because of who He is, if He just chooses me, as we see in verse 12, He's not chosen us because we're so this or we're so that. No, He just chose us because He loves us. He chose us because He chose us. And if that's true, if I have God's unconditional love, then I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to pretend like I have it all together. And I don't have to wear myself out trying to prove myself to anyone. Our Savior says to each of us here today, come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Don't you see the rest that the truth of Christmas brings? That's point number one. Point number two, Christmas changes our view of others. So Christmas changes our view of ourselves, but it also changes our view of others. Let's look at verses 12 through 14. Together, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another, If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now this text is interesting that we just read. It appears to be a table of virtues, a table of virtues, and to some degree it is that. It is a table of virtues. But you need to know something, that in the ancient world, tables or lists of virtues was very common. Very common. It was a very common genre of writing. And parents would often read these lists to their children. Teachers would read these lists uh, to their classes, tables, various tables of virtues. But this list that we just read is very different than any list found in the first century. In fact, it's radically different than anything from the first century. And let me tell you why. When we first read a list like this with our American, first century American, 21st century American ears, we don't catch anything remarkable about it, do we? It's just, yeah, yeah, I get it. Forgive, Uh, you know, be patient, be gentle, have humility, blah, blah, blah. Like, I get it. Be a good person. But if we had first century ears, that is not at all how we would respond to this table. This table of virtues would shock us. You see, first century folks had plenty of moral lists, but none like this one. This was completely revolutionary at the time. Why? Why? Why is this so revolutionary? Because before the birth of Christ, you would use a table of virtues for one reason. You would use a table of virtues to set yourself apart from common people, from peasants. And so typical virtues that you would find in these first century lists would be virtues like wisdom, bravery, fairness, intelligence. And these virtues, what they did was they made you a part of the elite, the elite class of society. They set you above everyone else. They made you better than everyone else. But when you read the virtues in Paul's list here, what do you notice? Look at it. What do you notice? Are any of these virtues trying to set yourself above your neighbor? Are any of these virtues meant to make you better than your neighbor? No. You see, every virtue mentioned here doesn't put you above your neighbor. It pulls you toward them. It pulls you toward your neighbor. Paul is saying, no, you don't rise above your neighbor. You stoop below them. Just as our Savior did. You forgive your neighbor. What does Paul say in verse 13? Just as the Lord forgave you. You serve your neighbor just as the Lord serves you. You see, our Lord had all of the power in the universe and in heaven. And he set that power aside. And he took off of his robe. And he got a basin full of water. And he stooped down to wash our feet. In Jesus' world of virtues, we don't rise above our neighbor. We stoop below our neighbor. And we lift our neighbor up. We serve our neighbor from the bottom up, from the feet up. We love them. This is completely revolutionary. And I hope it's completely revolutionary for you right now. (laughs) This should change you from the inside out. Just this list of virtues. Why? Because let's think together. If that baby in the manger came just for you, then that also means the baby in the manger came just for you. Your neighbor. Equally as much. Equally as much. We want to, we, I get it, we want to make the love of Christ and the baby in that manger especially just there for us. And that is true. But it is also true that he came especially for your neighbor. He did. And that should change the way you view your neighbor. Every person that cuts you off on the highway. And that might have been me at one point. If so, I'm sorry. Every person that cuts you off on the highway. Everybody that's rude to you in line at Walmart. Your angry boss. Or your stuffy co-workers. Or fellow students at school. The kids that pick on you. Every single one of those people are why Jesus came too. He came for them. Every one of those people are made in Jesus' image. And they are dearly loved by Him also. I mean, just look at verse 13. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Why? Why should we do that? People have really wronged us. They've really wronged me. You don't understand. Well, Paul continues. Look at the next sentence. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You see, you you have offended the Lord from the moment you breathed your first breath. Genuinely, and he forgave you. Paul is saying, let Jesus' compassion toward you move you to compassion for your neighbor. Let Jesus' forgiveness of you move your heart to forgive others. Yes, they've genuinely wronged you, but you genuinely wronged Christ, and he forgave you. Do you see how this table of virtues is shaped like Christmas it's shaped just like Christmas the king of kings left all of his glory behind in order to humble himself in a stable in Bethlehem this is a Christmas shaped table of virtues And what's really neat that you probably don't realize, I didn't either, is how this Christmas shaped table of virtues literally changed the world. It changed the world. You see, you and I read a list like this, and nothing strikes us as unique or different about it. We just take it for granted. Yeah, so let's just be nice to people, forgive people, be humble, live in unity with people. We we'll just take it for granted. But atheist historian Tim O'Neill writes, and you can find this on his website. Tim O'Neill writes, "Quote: Most of the things that we consider to be intrinsic and instinctive human values are actually nothing of the sort." They are primarily and fundamentally the product of Christianity and would not exist without the last 2,000 years of Christian dominance on our culture. End quote. That's atheist historian Tim O'Neill. Historian Tom Gilson agrees. Dr. Gilson writes this, quote, Ancient Greco-Roman culture was calloused toward the needy in ways we can hardly imagine. But Jesus changed all that. We are a culture shaped by him. Not fully, obviously, but to an extent greater than many of us recognize. End quote. You may not know this, but we are breathing Jesus's air. We are. The way Jesus loved his neighbor changed the world. And you can be the most staunch atheist or the staunchest Muslim in the world, and you too are breathing Jesus' air. The very morals, the very values in life that you hold the most dear come directly from Jesus. The very moral values you would use to judge the Bible, ironically, come from the Bible. You're sitting in God's lap in order to slap His face. Don't you see? Before Christ, no one thought like this. People only used morals to rise above their neighbor. But Jesus came and used his morals to stoop below his neighbor, to serve them and to love them. Our neighbors are not stepping stools on our way to success. No, they are invaluable image bearers of almighty God and they are dearly loved by him. That's point number two. And we'll close Point number three. Christmas changes our view of ourselves. It changes our view of others. And finally, Christmas changes our motivations. It changes our motivations. Let's read verses 15 through 17 together. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. What's the theme? The theme is gratitude. Gratitude. But this isn't just any old gratitude. No. This is a deep gratitude that overflows out of your heart and causes you to sing. This is a gratitude that causes happy tears to run down your face. This is a kind of gratitude that reconfigures all the priorities in your life. But what in the world kind of gratitude could do all that? This is deeper than what you say at Thanksgiving. This is a kind of gratitude that changes your life. But what kind of gratitude could do that? What kind of gratitude is powerful enough to rearrange my priorities? Well, there's a terrific movie. It's a foreign film and won all kinds of awards. It's called Three Seasons. Three Seasons. It's an amazing movie. It's a story about life in post-war Vietnam. And the main characters in the movie are two very poor Vietnamese. One character is a young man named Hai, who is a cyclo-driver. The other character is a beautiful young woman named Lon, who is a prostitute. And in the story, High falls madly in love with Lon. And Lon lives in grinding poverty. And she longs so much to live in the luxurious world where she works, but in which she never even gets to spend the night. Never gets to spend the night. And she hopes that the money she makes by prostitution, will be her means to escape. But instead, the work brutalizes and enslaves her. And then, hi, he's a cyclo driver and he enters a cyclo race. And against all odds, he unexpectedly wins the race. He wins first place. And with his prize money, he shows up at Lon's door and he gives her her dream. He tells her that he has paid for one night in the luxurious hotel where she works, where they can stay together. And then, to everyone's shock, High tells Lon that he is not there to sleep with her. No. He says that he is there because he only wants her to rest in peace. And he just wants to watch her fall asleep. And then he's going to leave. Instead of using... His money to seduce her. He spends it to purchase a place for her to have one night in the normal world, to fulfill her lifelong desire to belong, to have peace, to have just one night of rest. And Lon finds such grace. Hard to believe. She finds it hard to believe at first. And she doesn't believe him at first. She's thinking it's some, it has to be some kind of trick. No one can love me like that. This must be a trick she pushes back. And she says, no, you must be, you must be trying to control me. This must be something you're doing to manipulate me. But when it comes apparent to Lon that high really is using his power to serve her instead of use her, it changes her. She almost gets mad at him. She gets mad. She cries and she says to him, don't you see what you've done? She says, I don't even know what I'm going to do now. Because of what you have done for me. I can never go back to my life of prostitution. I can't go back. You see, having experienced for the first time someone who used his power to serve her rather than use her, Lon is filled with a brand new sense of worth and value, and dignity. She says, I can't go back. With her newfound dignity, she says, I can't return. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to make any money. I'll probably starve to death, but I can't go back. Selfless love changed. Long, and it reordered her values and priorities in life. She is not the same person as she was before. She is literally changed by the power of selfless grace. Now, Three Seasons is a beautiful love story, it is. But you and I have an even better one. It's similar. But it's even better. You see, because Jesus Christ had all of the power and wealth in the universe, and He laid it all aside, all of the infinities and immensities of His glory, He gave them up so that He could purchase us a room. A room in the only place our hearts can truly rest, and that is in his Father's house. And Jesus paid for this room, not at the cost of his wealth, but at the cost of his life. Jesus laid down his life to give us a room in his Father's house. He denied himself in order to love us. And as Christians, the selfless love of Christ fills our hearts with transformative gratitude. As we see our Savior using His power not to dominate us, but to serve and die for us. This is why Paul writes, verse 16, Paul says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now what is the message of Christ that Paul refers to here? It's this wondrous gospel love story. That is the message of Christ. Just as High showed up at Lon's doorstep to rescue her with His grace, our hero showed up at our doorstep in a manger in Bethlehem to shower us too with His limitless grace that will change us forever from the inside out. And so here at Gospel Life Church, we want this gospel story to dwell in us richly. Number one, we changed our name to Gospel Life Church. Because we want to dwell in this story. This beautiful love story. We want to pray gospel prayers, sing gospel songs, and preach gospel sermons. Because it is only this wondrous gospel love story that can change us. It's not to-do lists. It's not me getting up here and pounding a pulpit and telling you to do better, be better, act right, do right. None of that changes anything. Only true love changes things just as high's true love of Lon changed her. So our King's true love of us changes us. And so when you come to a life group at Gospel Life Church and when you come to a worship on a Sunday morning, you will hear the gospel love story of Jesus because he loves you and his love will change you from the inside out. And so let us leave here today with that love story on our hearts and on our lips. Let's talk about it at lunch. Let's talk about it as we eat dinner tonight. Let's talk about it with our families and with our friends. Let it just be always on our hearts and on our lips so that we can live joyfully in its light and rest in our Savior's love. Let's pray together.